You're listening to The Author's Leverage, where it's all about your book and how to create a greater impact and a greater income with it. This podcast is for the author who knows there's more you can do with that book. Whether you're publishing your first one ever or you've written multiple bestsellers, the path to greatness begins by looking around and seeing that you are, at this moment, standing right in the middle of your own acre of diamonds. My friends, your book is a brand. I'm Parshel Tashi, creative entrepreneur and education design architect, and I'll be your guide diving into the minds of successful authors, renowned publishers, and industry experts to glean practical wisdom you can integrate into your book writing, launch, and marketing strategies today. You'll hear straight from the source how authors like you were able to publish their best work and build wildly profitable, successful businesses around it. Welcome aboard the Author's Leverage. Hello, hello, and welcome. This is the Author's Leverage. I'm Parshel, and I have the honor of talking and exploring conversations with authors, book authors, publishers, book publishers, uh, literary agents, uh, book marketing folks, like all of those that are connecting and helping us share and express the work of teachers and those that are part of our world, whether they're coaches or consultants. So I'm excited today to talk uh, with someone who's going to share her book launching experience. And it really has been something like her book has won multiple awards. Um, she's been doing so many amazing things, not only through her book, but through her community. So I'm really excited to share and introduce you to this wonderful, wonderful woman. I actually met her uh, several years ago in Philadelphia in person. And from there, I've always remembered her, always just like had her and held her in a spe- very special place in my heart because she introduced me to uh, the power of niching uh, in business. So you're going to learn a lot from this conversation. I'm excited for that. So let me bring up uh, to the stage here. I'm going to welcome Miss Pamela Slim. And I'm going to read her bio as well so you guys can uh, know what she is and uh, who she is and what she's all about. So Pamela Slim is an award-winning author, speaker, and business coach who works with small business owners ready to scale their businesses and IP. She's the author of Escape from Cubicle Nation, Body of Work, and The Widest Net. She and her husband, Daryl, co-founded the Ke. Main Street Learning Lab in Mesa, Arizona, where they host scores of diverse community leaders and regular small business programming. Pamela, thank you so, so much for being here. I'm so excited to reconnect with you again. This is awesome. Likewise, it's so good to see you. And I love that we made the connection through Melinda, who's one of my favorite people. Yeah, absolutely. So tell us a little bit more, like what's exciting and happening in your world right now? Oof. It is, I know we're going to be talking specifically about the book launch and we tend to think, I was laughing internally a little bit when when we were talking earlier and and like, yes, you've already completed your launch. And inside I was like, it never ends. (laughs) (laughs) For any book, we're constantly doing the seeding work. Yes. But probably my favorite part of a book's trajectory when it comes out into the world is noticing the ways in which it shows up and can be of service to people in different environments. I've finally been back on the road. I spoke at three different events in May to really different audiences. And it's just been really fun to see it come to life. And then internally with my team, we're just beginning to build more specific tools and offerings to be supporting the book, which I know is in alignment with the work you do day in and day out. So for this training and development nerd, right? I've been in the field for 30 years. It's the most exciting place. Like what can the book actually do in the world? And I love to see it come to life. Wow. I love that. 
And tell us a little bit uh, in your own words what the book is about and what inspired uh, it to finally come out and be in its form today as a published book. Yes. So I'll tell the little story of the trilogy. I, I always describe myself as an author practitioner. So I write about the work that I do day in and day out. And so early on, my I've been in business 26 years, but the first 10 as a management consultant. So the early first focus of the work I did was at Escape from Cubicle Nation, which was a blog I started in 2005, mm. helping people leave corporate to start a business. So that spurred interest from Penguin Portfolio that was uh, my first publisher for that book, basically just helping people to leave corporate and safely land on their feet in a structure of business mm. that allowed them to financially survive. The next question people would then generally say is, okay, now that I'm out and I'm on my own in the Narnia world of entrepreneurship, <laughs> then what really do I want to build? And where people generally go through a stage of discernment of really figuring out for a certain stage of business, what they really want to do. As soon as it becomes clear what they want to do, the next question is always, where's my audience? Where are my people? So the what they want to do was my second book, Body of Work, that came out in 2014. The Widest Net is a, really a methodology for how you build a highly relational community, audience for your business, source of continual referrals, juxtaposed against what I call the uh, empire model. So we talk a lot in business about building an empire, a unique empire where we're positioning ourselves as the sole authority. I have a lot of issues with that metaphor, that mm. from a values perspective. Mm -hmm. I don't think empires were good for many people except those at the top. I yeah. prefer to really look through the context of an ecosystem. How are we surrounding our ideal clients, with the best, the most supportive kinds of resources, and then building connections between those ecosystem partners to grow a sustainable business. Wow. So essentially, this at this point, they, they've gone from corporate or having a job to being established. They're established mm -hmm. and they figured out what to do. And now it's about really the how, but going deep in relationships and community and an ecosystem and building How that. do you, exactly. So it's for folks who, were, who have a book coming out. You're like, what is my strategy? What should I do? Where are the places I should be connecting? It's so overwhelming. The same thing is true if you might be scaling your business. I just had two conversations earlier today with potential clients where they've grown really substantial IP and they're like, we know that we have potential to scale, but where do I start? So it really answers that in a very methodical way through a 10-step process, which wow. I've lived and essentially for the last 30 years and, and codified. And I love that you've essentially, as you mentioned, it's like you're writing as you're working with people, you know, and there, and that's what's informing the, the writing itself, you know, is because what I see here is like all of your books connect. They're very sequential in the journey of an entrepreneur who's starting from not being an entrepreneur to being one and then addressing their challenges. So did you always have this plan, I guess, so to speak? I mean, I know, uh, I guess it's called... Uh, being a serial author to an extent to mm -hmm. have multiple books that are kind of either sequential, uh, you know, going horizontally or just keeping down the same vertical and, and continue with that. So that, that wasn't a plan of yours from like, it just kind of just happened. I never thought that I would end up writing books and be an official author. It was a wow. total shock and surprise to me. My business model that I created 26 years ago was literally based on a Dr. Seuss book. If I ran the circus. <laughs> it was an assignment. It was an assignment. What? In a, 
<laughs> I am kidding you not. I still have the document itself. It was an assignment in a certificate in training and development from UC Berkeley. And um, it, the assignment was, if you could just create any business you want, what would it be? So it was like springing off of that idea. That was the extent to which I did the business plan 26 years <laughs> later. Something worked. I'm still in business. Wow. The books really came first from writing. I started my blog, Escape from Cubicle Nation, with the intention of connecting with potential clients. I've always loved to write. So writing was something that I deeply enjoyed throughout school and so forth. But writing is, is those folks who have been inside companies know. I did lots of work around corporate communications and change management. So there are words and writing it's not quite the same where you can really be writing something from your own voice for an audience unfiltered. So that, that really has become a joyful process. And I just noticed that it's, it's begin to become this rhythm that is really helpful in the work I do as a coach. I tend to lean in to look at what are the problems that need to be solved through a lens also of values of just, there's a lot of information out there, but what could be a unique take that's really aligned with values and that's the way that it's been. I hesitate to even say it, but usually I take many years between books of so five, six, seven years. The next book is already whispered in my ear, like almost it feels like the day the widest net came out. So I'm just like, I hear you, but you can just go away for a couple of years. <laughs> I don't think I want to go through the writing process just quite yet. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. And how, how has the writing process been for you? It was it is, it's always a challenge. It is a, it is a, absolutely a privilege to be writing books. I, I really recognize, and it's always challenging. This one I wrote when we were in quarantines, so I wrote it from home. I felt like I was pretty grounded for my clients in doing work. And I felt pretty clear in the work I was doing day to day as a coach. But for some reason, when it came to writing the book itself, it just took, it just felt like I was, uh, struggling almost every day to bring the ideas out. I've actually been seven years in research for the book. So thank goodness I had a huge amount of content. I had a model. I did a 23 city tour testing ideas early on. I had a 2000 person research report. I had five years of development for here in the main street learning lab, where we use the model real time for community building. So thank goodness. And then work I've done with clients. Thank Mm -hmm. goodness I had that, but it was really a challenge. And so I am very happy to be through the writing process. <laughs> Says <laughs> every author break. everywhere, right? <laughs> and now, and now comes the all of the book launching, which you you mentioned early on. It's like it's a never-ending process, right? You you know, in some way, shape, or form, have to keep the conversation going. So, talk a little bit so far, because I I mean I've seen your book everywhere. I don't know if that's because I follow you or what, but I've just seen it multiple times with like, you know, I think it it won some awards and and some recognitions, you know. So talk a little bit about, you know, the book launch and and what you find has been most valuable to really have this to have its best, or I guess, you know, launch for what it was (laughs) and the successes. Yeah. Yeah. So having been through the process twice before, one thing I've learned really clearly is to always determine a specific goal and a path for the book that is based on where I am, resources available, what it is I want for the book. I've never met an author so far who doesn't want it to hit all the lists, win all the awards, hit the New York Times list. Like I've yet to do that in my career. (laughs) 
I am not writing it off. It would be amazing. Mm-hmm. That said, when because I work with so many authors in the work I do as a business coach, I know very clearly behind the scenes what it takes from time, energy, resource in order to be doing hitting some of those external markers. And so to me, what's important that I did for this book in particular was one to really use the method in the book for doing the work. Now that I've been in the online world for the last 15, 16 years, I've spent a lot of time in community building, which was that per the method, just very slow, deliberate connections. You and I love how we have that connection. Mm -hmm. We met each other at a live event, um, you know, been connected on social media and you have there's no replacement often for the kind of connections that happen when you do it with a deliberate focus Mm. to how it is that people might understand work in the context for the work. And so I really wanted to be modeling what I talk about in the book of first doing more of an analysis about who were the different players in the ecosystem surrounding my ideal reader, my beloved reader, as my friend Betsy, Betsy Rappaport would call it, when I looked at where the places where they would look in person and online for resources or, you know, people who would be mentioning the book, those, that, those were some of the, like, organizing that I did in terms of people who I asked for blurbs or people who I reached out to do the kind of asks that we know we all need to make, mm-hmm. right? You have friends, peers, collaborators, And, you know, to reach out and be able to say to somebody, would you mind sharing this with your audience? But it really went a little bit deeper than that to also think of what are the stories that I wanted to be sharing in the book? Because very deliberately, I wanted this book to be representing a method that we use to do very intersectional, very equity focused work that we do here at the Main Street Learning Lab, where we're highlighting the leadership that exists here in our own Mesa, Arizona community, especially among indigenous, black, Latinx, Asian leaders here but also really just thinking, I want to be writing a book that actually the entire community can see themselves in, have a method that's informed by perspectives beyond my own as a white woman author. And so in doing that, even from the beginning of thinking about the kind of messages to have in the book, that can be something that's really important for thinking about yeah. as, you know, asking other people to share it or finding places where people could share it. So there was, there was just very deliberate approach in that what was I looking for in the in the launch Um, and then one of the specific things that I activated that was so much fun is it's a common practice probably many of your authors have talked about it to have what's often called an ambassador group or some kind Mm -hmm. of launch team where Mm -hmm. we invite people to launch when I thought about that in the context of the widest net which is all about reciprocity was like, if I'm just asking people to basically say, hey, are you my fans? Do you want to help me sell more of my books? <laughs> like, <laughs> basically, right? That feels a little weird. And I can yeah. give you resources to do that. There are many people who graciously offer to help. But I really wanted to structure our work together so that we were learning as we went together. And so I invited people who were thinking of launching their own things to basically each week we had a a meeting for the couple months leading up to the launch where I really went in depth about the method of the book. I shared what was going on in terms of the launch, why I was making certain decisions. And then early on, I invited somebody who was one of the main characters in the book, as I call them, people who like head up certain chapters. And they loved it so much that I ended up bringing folks in all throughout Mm. that process of people I had interviewed for the book that I talked to. And it just was such a really beautiful and rich experience. 
Um, so that was a really important part of the design is just having people that were involved. Because what I want is when I do make the ask, would you mind sharing with your audience or could you write an Amazon review? I wanted them to write it more from the perspective of having lived it and really having a real first person experience with the method rather than I like Pam and she's been nice to me and therefore mm. I'm going to write a really good review. I mean, wow. it's like that. I really wanted to come from a place where they had done some in internalizing of the method that they found valuable. That's huge. And, you know, a lot of times, uh, even in thinking about that for people who have a deadline and are trying to get things out very quickly, it's almost like to hear this also is like, well, that's going to take longer. <laughs> you know, that's going to like, wh what's your response to that for those that say, oh, that would be nice, but you know, I want to get this out right now. It, it goes again to, to right sizing the design of your launch based on who you are and the yeah. period of time that you have. Right. And, and really it's such a, <laughs> my, my friend, that's friend Desiree sometimes, like we call each other dream crusher when we like <laughs> come down with, you know, like the truth, the truth. Yeah. <laughs> really careful. Cause what does the truth mean anyway? It's so relative to different people. Sure. I always sure. like to leave open the possibility that stuff can happen that we yeah. cannot imagine or explain. And never, yes. And no, yeah. nobody could ever tell you like this won't work or you yeah. can't be on it. And then to realize there's some nefarious stuff happening as well, where there could be an agenda sometimes for people telling you that you shouldn't do something or you should hold back. Like to be aware of some of those systemic issues, I think is really important oh, yeah. when you're launching. The other side of it is maybe more the pragmatist in me. This is the tiny bit of the dream pressure where it's like, okay, if you want to have a gigantic launch and hit the New York Times list and you have not spent years in focused effort, effort in building an audience or you don't have mm. hundreds of thousands of dollars to be paying some of the service providers who work with people, talk about crushing my own dreams. I was so naive for so long I was crushed when I found out that most people buy their way into the New York Times list. Like that made me so yeah. sad. Yeah. And I felt like, you know, I felt so yeah. sad. Yeah. But that's a reality. Sometimes when we're looking at the results from other people, we don't realize they are spending hundreds of thousands of dollars, not tens, not thousands, but hundreds of thousands of dollars wow. to make that happen. So activate the strategy within the amount of time that you have and then if things happen that create some unexpected sure, boost, right. that's fantastic. Be mm -hmm. open to all the possibilities. I love that. And, and those are just such key and just uh, really intentional strategies that I think really have made the biggest difference with your launch and how you've been able to spread the word about your book. Um, now, like I, I'm, I'm listening also with the ear of, you know, this is publishing. We're talking about publishing and then getting people to see what you've published. And I find similarities also when it comes to launching another product, let's say a course, or let's say some other, um, you know, asset that you might develop along the way based on your book. What are some of the, you know, are there other strategies that come to mind that you feel are, um, you know, also useful or really wor well worth the, the effort to see the success of different products that come from the source material or your IP? There's a general understanding and an analysis that you can do. It happens to be part of the method from the widest net. But when you when you're making some determining factors, I there's a there's a strategic analysis that I find most people who are just moving quickly with good intentions will skip. And that is to really look at 
what is that mission of your business? What are the values that you have that it's going to be driving specific decisions about who it is that you partner with? There can be people in your network, people you have known mm. throughout the course of your work that um, may not be the best aligned with values and if you're with your values and if you're only looking for who can sell the most courses or who's an affiliate partner who can you know, make the most sales for you or the blog or the podcast that you think is going to lead to the most book sales. It's just to recognize and be aware of implications of those decisions from your reader and from your audience perspective. Mm. I feel like, you know, we're at, <laughs> we're at an all time low, pretty much in all aspects of our like social life and social construct. It's yeah, a, it's totally it's like, a, it's an area ripe for opportunity, right. For us to be rebuilding, I think in an equitable way, but so it's, it's a bit disastrous. I feel like that is the way that many people feel about influencers, about authors, about business people. They mm. have been burned. They have like seen things. I know, especially through the last couple of years that have really been disappointing in terms of how people have or have not showed up in light of significant social issues. And I think people are really paying attention and noticing the way that we do things. Mm. And so looking for the short-term gain, you know, versus the long-term brand impact, that's something I think everybody should look at with discernment. And with discernment means you make the decision that is the best for you. Nobody can come in and tell you, the way that you're going to do an approach, you need to be discerning for yourself, but just recognizing that there is going to be a trade-off based on what you do. Mm. So that said, if you're clear about that, and then you have an assessment about really like, what are your strengths? Are you more of the video person? Are you right. great with media? I know certain of my clients, they can like jump on Good Morning America and they will like light up an entire room. I have other people who are that thoughtful, discerning, like podcast, sensitive, deep person who should not probably right be on television because it yeah. would be an anxiety filled experience yes. for them. So thinking about really what are your strengths and then what are your assets that you have to work with in terms of, I call them your beacon. So there's your beacon, which would be a primary communication vehicle, mm -hmm. pretty much for courses, for books or anything. It's an email list. We're still saying that in 2022. Yes, we'll probably say it all the way into 2050. I don't know what it is, but yeah. like email lists generally tend to be the driver of sales, either mm -hmm. class sales or books in my experience. Mm -hmm. The other thing can, but it, it, for some people, like if you do have a podcast as that primary communication vehicle for your, you know, for the beacon for your business, then you want to choose a couple of your social media satellites that you're really going to lean into hard. So as opposed to having, TikTok content and Snapchat and LinkedIn and Facebook and Instagram, where you might just feel totally fragmented. You're just like mm. spewing information everywhere. I would really zero in based on who your ideal readers are and think about the channels where you can really show up and shine and just put lots of attention and focus on that. Generally having two primary vehicles that you might use from a social media perspective um, to be really dialing things in. But the, strategically, again, when, when you have more of that, that nuanced picture about the best places for you to be showing up in the mm -hmm. communication vehicles mm -hmm. and beacon, then that means that you want to be strategic leading up to it. It's never just the two weeks of the like focused intensive work that you do around a book launch. It's the way that you've been seeding the ideas 
all the way along, usually for the first four months leading up to the launch, where you're really letting people know that the book is coming mm. or the product is coming and not to have mm. it just come out of nowhere. I'm sure right. you've seen this, but it's just shocking to me. And I, I tend to be on the leaner side of sending emails. I just, I don't like to get a hundred emails for a launch personally. Yeah. It, you know, friends are always like trying to push me to maybe send a few more, but I'm shocked sometimes when I feel like I've gone way over the top and then I'll talk to like a client of mine or a good friend. And they're like, Oh, you had a book coming out. I had no idea. And I'm like, seriously, like, what? I feel like that's the only thing I've been talking about. But there's so much noise yeah. that often we need to be more consistently broadcasting that message over a, over a long period of time because people miss it and you, you need to be catching them up. Wow. That's, that's hugely important. And, and I'm thinking, too, in, in, in the, the, the strategy of content and how you show up on social media, mm-hmm. you know, how you repurpose that content for that you know, from a book. Um, also has a lot of value in it, but still, you still have to find a way through the noise and um, to still connect with your readers. It's true. It's really like I, I look at the the couple weeks that happen during a book launch. So from the time it you know hits the streets, where there is a reason why we want to be having a surge in sales. If you have a traditional publisher, of course, you want to have a strong showing of sales. Mm-hmm. You want to get that good effect of the, the network effect where like you had the experience. It looks looks like my book is everywhere. It's actually just because probably in the ecosystem <laughs> of people who are surrounding you yeah. and me, that strategically <laughs> yep. those people are sharing it. Mm-hmm. But it is good to have some focused effort there in the long term is where you really are looking for building in the the IP, the methods, the ideas from the book into the bigger strategy of what it is that you're doing in your business. Mm. For a lot of my author friends, um, somebody like Dan Pink, who really is, he's a writer, he's a journalist, he'll take a number of years between books. The book itself is really the main thing. So just the book and then speaking, that would be where the business model is just about building that strong relationship with the speakers bureaus and with partners in the press when you have a huge book come out. It's really the tiny, tiny bit of that rarefied air of people who just focus on a book. Generally, it's linked into the rest of your business and your product offerings, your overall content that you will have. I still get um, lots of people talking about, especially body of work that came out in 2014 that will continually be referring it. People are like, oh, yes, I just referred your book to you know these, this many clients. And to me, it's often surprising, but it's also encouraging that something is right if you're writing something that can endure the test of mm. time. Mm. That's so powerful. Um, and it's, it's quality, you know, it's quality work, you know, and it's, it, it will stand the test of time. Um, let's shift gears a little bit. Tell me what your, you know, what you envision for the future of publishing and how, how much our experiences that inform our IP and now, you know, you build up this experience and you build up this uh, methodology that you teach and becomes the foundation for what you do in your business. Um, what do you see for the future of authorship and what that means and what it means to be successful or I should say happy <laughs> as, a, as an author or someone who has published you know, what they know and what they have uh, experienced? The biggest trend that I see, I see it every single day with my clients, and I know in my own experience that we really are seeing a lot of the deconstruction and the crumbling of a lot of the core foundation of 
of publishing for traditional publishers, you know, the big five publishers, especially um, there's actually a huge loss of employees. So a lot of people are leaving publishing in order to work independently with a lot of new houses that might be more of a hybrid house. So if you're an editor or you're a, you know, an agent or somebody who's, you know, working in that world, there are a lot of people who are actually leaving. So it's getting harder and harder in that business model of having generally uh, less paid editors that tend to be younger who have this huge volume of books that they're working on. And we're just starting to hear a lot more that's happening within the publishing industry, which is interesting because it's just mirroring the rest of what's happening in the workforce. But basically, this may be either very truthful or cynical or a combination of both. (laughs) But at this point, I get pretty clear, unless you already have a very large platform most of the publishers are really hedging their bets, understandably from a business side, of people who already have tons of cachet, resources, and a huge audience. So if you're Brene Brown, you are not going to have trouble getting a publishing deal. It becomes very problematic and chicken or the egg when it comes to the kinds of books that are getting visibility, when it comes to looking at structural inequities of like who already might have a gigantic audience or the resources in order to do mm-hmm. other publishing avenues. Mm-hmm. There are some amazing publishers now that are coming in more as a hybrid where, and again, many of the people who are working in those publishers, the editors and copywriters, et cetera, are coming from the, you know, they're the same ones that were working in the big publishing yeah. houses. Yeah. So the quality is amazing, but often it requires more of an upfront investment Mm -hmm. so that you're able to take some of the financial responsibility. Then you end up making more per book and it can work out in the long run, but it does require some capital. So I I feel like some of the great books are lost in the shuffle. If people don't, uh, you know, already, if they haven't already built a business or an audience um, or they don't have a bunch of money laying around or access to somebody who can pay for that. Mm -hmm. Um, It's just a hugely important part of what's happening. And so, I see a lot of people that are going to hybrid publishers, great places like Page Two or Idea Press Publishing that have great staff, discernment around the books, really high quality folks, um, but where there's a bit more of a hybrid model. And then I'm finding other people who are just really foregoing in general. So they might just do something where it's self-published. They might just do a Kindle version. They might go straight to audiobook, look for ways in order to have the content come out and that's where I see this real difference between the reasons why it is that you might want to have a book. I, I work in the nonfiction area of business books. So generally, I'm really looking at what is somebody's goal or objective as a business person? Do they want to have a book that's a good entryway into doing like deeper consulting or selling in other products? Mm-hmm. That could be the case where it doesn't make sense for you to invest, again, tens or hundreds of thousands of dollars to build up a huge audience to attract the eye of a traditional publisher where you may really extend the time frame mm. out for a long time in order for your book to come out mm. versus maybe you are the next, you know, Roxanne Gay and you have like an amazing story and you, you know, you're meant to be with a traditional publisher that might be worth it to you to be putting in the work in order to build an audience. If you don't really see yourself having the rest of the business model. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. So, so the business model really is the, one of the biggest deciding factors there. It's like, what do you actually want to do <laughs> with, with this? It's huge because 
a book itself, rarely, unless you have a breakout hit or unless you get a gigantic advance, is rarely the main driver of income. It's right. just you have to have other things around it or a plan in order to be monetizing the investment that it takes to be to be getting a book out into the world. I wish it was just about writing an amazing book. And I, I know that there are many, many passionate people in the publishing industry that still hold that kind of discernment, which I love, where they're like, they love a great book. They love a great story. They have an opinion. I mean, it's one of the reasons why for these three books I have gone with traditional publishers, because I love that kind of partnership and collaboration with people who have really had this history of like bringing amazing books out. They have discernment. They will tell you if your book sucks yeah. <laughs> <laughs> at different stages. Like I want that kind of, you know, feedback that said, it depends on who you are as a writer and what kind of information you're getting. There's also a lot of lack of analysis, lack of any kind of perspective on inclusion, equity, diversity, and that could be extremely damaging to the psyches of great writers who should be moving forward to write a book and might get knocked around by saying that their book is not what it's meant to be. I know we went through a lot of iterations of, um, getting the proposal out. I'm really happy McGraw-Hill picked it up. But I was told by some people I know and love, it's it's not a big idea book. It's really not something that has a big idea. And I'm sitting back here going, then why is it that every single person I talk to every day needs this perspective? Yes. Why is it that what we're doing here at the Learning Lab, at which the framework is built on, is getting amazing, exceptional results in an area that everybody is saying is one of the critical areas of our time. And I don't think it's by accident, right? Mm. Some of the ideas where they have more ingredients about revolutionary change are ones that can scare a traditional publisher. So just know that and always have huge protection and army of therapists, friends (laughs) to surround you to balance somebody saying your book doesn't have merit. Like we need to hear the truth sometimes about the writing but be really careful about how it is that you take feedback because sometimes people are afraid to have your book in the world and it's more reason for it to be there. Wow. Wow. That is, that needs to be said. Like, I wish I had a sound effect right now, like (laughs) at that moment. Wow. Um, And and you mentioned too, the, the, the power of an ecosystem really and how that supports, right. And having, having you to be successful and well-rounded um, in that respect. Can you give an example, like let's say the most ideal scenario where, you know, with this book that, you know, said entrepreneur has, like what would be the most ideal, like as, a, as an example of an ecosystem? So each, the, the, the framework, the way I talk about ecosystem in the widest net is when you think about who your ideal reader is, and this is important because we can, we can have different, types of readers for any book, right? I know for mine, I have entrepreneurs as one Mm -hmm. audience for the book, Mm -hmm. business owners themselves who want to to build an audience, build leads, build community. Mm -hmm. There could also be a brand that wants to have more connection with the ecosystem surrounding their clients. So they're actually like, there's an analysis of an ecosystem around every individual audience members, which is why, you know, you want to choose like a primary audience or two for your book. But the way you think about it is for that beloved reader, who are the 
all the people already that they're looking to for resources, support, information around the same problem that your book helps mm-hmm. to you know solve around. So you'd say like, who would be the most amazing thought leader that you know they're already following around this book? What are the media hubs that would be amazing? So for some people, it's if you could be on you know Today Show, Good Morning America. For other people, it's if I could hit this particular podcast. Mm. That would be it because everybody in my audience would you know recognize me so much okay. more. I always have my shout out to John Legend, right? I'm like he's the ultimate guy for my book. <laughs> you know he he was the he was a management yes. consultant. He was the Escape from Cubicle Nation person that did his music. I featured him in Body of Work. Now yeah. he's actually, believe it or not, doing all kinds of work around developing all kinds of initiatives around art yeah. and social justice yeah. in the ecosystem. So, and I've actually been directly in contact with with some of the folks that work with him because you're always thinking about who are those people who are already connected with your ideal audience. The same mm-hmm. thing is true, which is a very huge thing for books, is are there products that your ideal reader mm-hmm. would be using and those are often all the software as a service companies. If you could have LinkedIn or GoDaddy or FreshBooks or something, get excited, mm. share on their channels with all their customers about your book. If you can speak at one of their conferences or create content for their channels, this has been a hugely effective thing that I've done personally um, with other books. That's where you start to get more a sense of the ecosystem. So it's unique to your reader. It's unique to your book. And the discernment I would always suggest is that it's not just every player there who's doing work around solving mm-hmm. the problem that your book mm-hmm. also solves. Mm-hmm. It's those who have harmonious values, right? I don't mean everybody believes exactly the same thing, but for the important things, you're going to feel confident mm-hmm. in referring somebody to that ecosystem partner. They're not going to get there and be like, why in the heck did Pam <laughs> like refer me to go to this conference? Like this was horrible. Yeah. That's where that's usually because you have a misalignment of values. Wow. And that's and all of that is so so key. Um and, and I see now, like as you're describing each of these lanes, like that's why it's called the widest net. <laughs> it's like it that is beautifully, beautifully done. Uh did you have the name yourself? For a while, um, it it didn't. I like everybody who's ever tried to name a book. It was a collaborative effort. So yeah. I had worked on the model for years and years. My yeah. dear friend David Moldauer, who I first met at Portfolio when he was a, an editor there, have known him for years. He ended up working with me on the proposal, and so he came up with the with the title itself, which I was really excited about because we had a lot of different working versions. But so what good. what I say, and this is it's funny, I probably would have hit it stronger in the book. Now I know after having so many conversations about it, I'm not talking about a fishing net of like throwing a net out and dragging the fish in. Mm -hmm. I'm talking about the net that we build underneath our ideal clients so that they can never, ever fail. Like if they fall, there are all kinds of people surrounding the ecosystem Mm -hmm. that are going to catch them. That's what I mean about the widest net. It's really mm. what are the all the ways we can be working together in order to ensure that our beloved clients or readers completely solve their problem. Because I, I don't think there's no big thing that we're trying to do in the world that we don't need multiple people really aligned to yes. do it. And that's the way that people consume information, right? My clients are working with intellectual property attorneys and graphic designers and web designers like every day 
I'm referring them to ecosystem partners who yeah. are also uh, supporting them in their efforts. And that's that's how I think organically and naturally we're connected anyway. <laughs> it's like you're bringing awareness to it as 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 a as a point to focus on and being intentional about you know, as we're building up um, different avenues of our business, just creating that support system for our clients. But, you know, it's, it's, it's relationships. It is. I think the work that I've done, it, it, this again was not necessarily by design at all, because when we opened up the learning lab, it, I was just looking for an office downtown that was in a cooler part of town. <laughs> and once I saw the physical space, it was like, I just had this wow. cosmic vision. As soon as I looked in the window and just realized like, oh my gosh, we could actually create a community space here. That's that's how it, that's how most things happen in my life. <laughs> Not planned, but once I get the vision, I really build it out. Mm-hmm. So the fact that so much of the lens of how we use this method is based on an actual physical location of a downtown area mm-hmm. where we have all of these different players. We have community members, we have merchants, we have government, we have academic institutions, all of these people who are all collaborating together, you see by walking down the street, no one person could ever totally take care of transforming a downtown. We literally all need each other in order to make it happen. When it's in a physical manifestation, of course, that's the truth. Any one restaurant can't single-handedly bring the traffic in to have enough new customers for their business. Somebody has to come down for an event and then there's a school thing that happens and then there's a new story about it. And then that's the way when people come, they're like, dang, it's kind of cool down here. Like, oh, I'm interested. That's the way that it happens. So that I really think surprisingly was such a huge part of what made me see this method in a very concrete way. It's just living it every day Mm. by like watching people walk by observing the behavior and then actively doing community building within our local community here. Wow. That's incredible. It really is. And you're, you're right downtown and witnessing this yourself every day. Like that's, that's so powerful. Um, tell, tell us a little bit more in terms of what's next for you and where, um, if you guys have anything that's coming up that those that are tuning in can check out and, and be a part of, we'd love to hear it. For sure. So around the book itself, we have some we have some online options, which you'll be excited. We are doing some work around the book itself and the content. I'm doing a couple of classes on Maven. Maven is a platform I actually wrote about in the book. My friend Wes Ko, who built Alt MBA um, with Seth Godin, has founded a startup with the, the um, co-founder of Udemy. And so that's a really fun cohort-based environment. So we have two classes that basically one is the first part of the method of the book and and one is the second part. So the first one is find your perfect partners. And that's really looking at doing the ecosystem analysis. So if you have a book, like how do you build a strategy for where you're going to spend your time? Mm -hmm. And then Tiny Marketing Actions is the other class that we have there that's more about how do you enact this method, which we have in the book, about every day doing these tiny little connecting actions in order to be activating the mm-hmm. ecosystem. So those are always, you know, we, we alternate pretty much every quarter where we have one class a quarter that's in that cohort. And it's so much fun. I love doing that work virtually. And then we're also doing an in-person live four-day retreat around the widest net method here in the learning lab. And so I always love to do live events. Thankfully, we can more safely be gathering these days. But what makes me extra happy is there really are so many stories that I tell in the book where we can really bring in 
the real live people that have informed the method and then have each individual who's doing the work in the method to, of course, do their own deep dive for themselves. Mm. So it's been a long time since it's been safe to bring people together, but retreats are some of my favorite things to do. So I'll have more information showing up really shortly. I'm not sure, you know, given the, what are we at June 20th today? So probably by the end of this week, I'll have more details about that, but that'll be the first week of October that we're doing that deep dive. Okay. That would be awesome. And you're, it's right in Mesa. Arizona. It's literally right in the middle of Main Street. So we kid you not, when we say Main Street Learning Lab, it is <laughs> smack dab in the center. And I have a cookie shop on one side and I have a motorcycle supply workshop yeah. on the other side nice. and uh, great tacos across the street. So it's really a fun place to come. And, and October is perfect in terms of weather. It's beautiful, especially for folks that might come from colder climates that like okay. a little bit of warmth. That's beautiful. Well, I might be coming down that way. Awesome. <laughs> be amazing. <laughs> you are so that. welcome. Yes, yes. Well, um, Pam, thanks again for your time and sharing your wisdom and all the exciting things that you've been you've been doing and really been just having your heart and attention on for years. Uh, the quality of your work really shows forth. And I just want to acknowledge just like it's not easy to do what you're doing that much. I know, but um, you do it well and you handle it with so much grace. And uh, I just appreciate you and uh, all that you do for uh, for your community and for now online. Right. <laughs> all the other people that uh, get connected with you. So congratulations on everything. And um, before I go, one last question I'll ask you. This will be like our uh, final question, which is. Uh, what is your one word? If there was one word that you, you would, you only got one word to to share with the world coming from Pamela Slim, what would that one word be, um, as sort of your ringing message, uh, here? Liberation. Wow. That's my word. That's, that's right at the top of just about anything that drives what I do. I want us to be more free, uh, more safe just more driven by the things that bring us alive and to create collectively an experience where people can feel free. That's, that's it for me. Beautiful, 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 beautiful. So powerful. And is there anything else that uh, you wanted to share as uh, parting words? I will make sure as maybe we can post it in the comments. I have yes. a workbook, no email trade required where I have all the exercises from the widest net. So if anybody just like wants to do more of the planning, there's, I am a business coach, so there's all kinds of exercises that are related to it. If you can use it as a planning tool, that makes me super happy. So I'll make sure that I share that with you where we can post that wherever this is posted so people can access it. Awesome. That'll be in the chat below this video for those checking this out and also on online wherever you'll be seeing this. We'll make sure this link is there too. Sounds good. Yes. Pamela, thank you so much again for being here. And uh, this was such a, a really amazing conversation. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Yes, yes, yes. And thank you all for, for tuning in and listening today, whether it's uh, live or uh, via the replay. This is such an exciting time to be an author. And um, uh, I hope that you enjoyed this conversation and we'll see you again next time on The Author's Leverage. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of The Author's Leverage. You can subscribe to wherever you listen to your podcast. Hey, do me a favor. If you found this helpful, leave us a review and share this episode with someone it could help along their journey. To check out more resources, visit theauthorsleverage.com. Thanks again for tuning in. Until next time.